God has gifted Susie Larson in many ways. And one of her gifts that blesses the Mybridge family is Susie's ability to connect through both the written and the spoken word to our hurts and our triumphs. The writer of our weekly blessings is the author of dozens of books. Her latest, a 40-day devotional, is called Waking Up to the Goodness of God. Susie, welcome back to the morning conversation. I would join you any day of the week. You are one of my favorites. So thank you for having me. So super excited about talking about your latest book, Waking Up Mm -hmm. to the Goodness of God, 40 Days Toward Healing and Wholeness. And a number of years ago, I'd been battling with some health stuff. And I remember sitting in my dining room and just kind of talking to the Lord a little bit and said, you know, God, some people, they seem like they get through life pretty unscathed, like they didn't really hit anything super, super hard. But I felt like I had experienced my dose of trauma. And I was like, mm-hmm. God, you don't have to do this, but like, could I maybe, could this be enough? And I can kind of go the rest of the way with little to no drama. Well, mm-hmm. from that time, health ended up plummeting. Lost my mom, totally unexpected. Like plenty of trauma came afterwards. The answer to that prayer was, love you, but no. <laughs> How do you process life and God in a way that's helpful and healthy in the midst of the reality of the fact that many of us, if not all of us, are going to walk through some pretty significant trauma in in life. And how do we think about that in terms of how do we live in a way that isn't that bracing for impact? No, I get it. And I've been there and I've prayed those prayers. And if you really look at the last few years in our world and in our nation, pretty much everybody's bracing for impact. And it does seem, it does seem like there are some that skate through. Like every time you ask them, how are you doing? Great. I'm like, really? I really don't get it. That might be one of the questions I have for the Lord. But one of our old retired pastor friends always said, the depth of the dealing always corresponds with the height of the calling. Mm. Like there, there is a suffering mm. that he allows, but there's nothing that he allows that he won't redeem. For those who know my backstory, three decades of Lyme disease had a pretty massive relapse about nine years ago that was horrifying, terrifying, traumatizing. There were times by be pacing quoting scripture, I was having stroke-like symptoms on a regular basis. And I'm like, you either have to kill me or heal me. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't have the mental bandwidth to keep at this. There was a very godly friend who confronted me in a loving way. She didn't even bring it like a correction, but it was a correction. And she said, Susie, you seem to be living like you're waiting for the next shoe to drop. But she had so much compassion in her heart. She had Jesus compassion. Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he was always moved by compassion. That always precipitated his miracles and his ministry was compassion. Mm -hmm. So to feel that unbelievable oozing compassion, it sort of kind of quickened to me. And I thought, no, there's more to this than this. And I'm seeing. So I got alone with the Lord and said, show me my heart. And he showed me, Stan, that I was disappointed in him. I was hurt by him. I still loved him. I was getting up every morning, reading the word. I'm getting on the air and I'm proclaiming truth that I believe. I wasn't faking that. But in the basement of my soul was this hurt that you could have stopped it and you didn't. How do you process life and God in a way that's helpful and healthy in the midst of the reality of the fact that many of us, if not all of us, are going to walk through some pretty significant trauma in in life. And how do we think about that in terms of how do we live in a way that isn't that bracing for impact? I do think the enemy strategically positions people who got it all together in a moment or season when we're falling apart, just Hmm. to rub salt in the wound, you know? (laughs) As I started to pay attention to that, I thought, 
we don't default to positions of faith, hope, and love. We don't. Mm. We don't default to a vision for what God might do. We default to fear, anxiety, doubt, worry, comparison. It's the gravity of living on a fallen world. It's the weight of sin. It pulls our gaze downward always. There's like a little nugget, a little secret, I feel like, in Scripture that the Israelites got wrong that helped me out because I want to get it right because I'm just as prone to wander and grumble as they are. And I think it's Psalm 106.7. You want to look in the Amplified Translation because the three things the Israelites didn't do. One was they didn't appreciate the significance of God's miracles. Secondly, they didn't marvel at the abundance of his mercies. And thirdly, they didn't imprint his loving kindness on their hearts. And what I realized for me was that my default response really was fear that if God has allowed this much, how much worse is he going to allow in my life? But when I looked at how the Israelites, their first sin was they turned away from listening to God. If you look in the Old Testament, that was their first thing is they, you can only listen to one voice at a time. And how often we're giving airtime to our inner critic or to the liar, the accuser of the brethren. We're giving him more airtime than the Lord because the enemy shouts, the Lord whispers, and they stopped listening to the voice of the Lord. And it said, by turning from God, their hearts hardened. When you're not listening to God, your heart is already getting hardened to God. So think about that. By not appreciating the significance of his miracles, they had a front row seat. I mean, they were emancipated out of slavery with the riches of Egypt, you know, and then he parted the sea and you know all that he did for them. But they were so quick to forget the miracles. So one of the ways, one of the practical ways, I think that we can start to retrain our heart and mind so that we can start to build a case for the goodness of God is to remember his miracles. If you're in between miracles, grab one from past scripture, grab one from your history, bring it to the forefront and say, this will have to do for now because he is the same God. And then you got his mercies. They're new every morning. I mean, he gives us mercies before we ever had a chance to blow it. It's his mercies are singing a song to us that says, I'm so committed to getting you home. I've got more mercies in my heart than you do have sin in your heart. He doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. I mean, we should be continually in awe that he doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. And then there's the imprinting of his loving kindness. And this is what I started to apply to my life before I wrote the book. And then the book sort of came out of this practice. I was so traumatized by the sickness and the symptoms and the contrast, all of it. What good are the promises if it's like you're going to just allow what you will to some and some suffer terribly? It doesn't seem like you intervene. Like, what good are the promises? I wanted to understand and have a biblical faith, but I was doing what the Israelites were doing, becoming more associated with trauma and trials than I was with his promises. So I started here by looking around and thanking God for every blessing in my life. And not just thanking him, like counting my blessings and amassing them, but tethering every blessing to a God to whom I'm tethered, right? So I suddenly could see, I have a loving father who granted me that fluffy pillow and a stable, steady, godly husband and food in my cupboard and friends and family who pray for me. All of these things are very personal gifts from God because he loves me. And the more that I retrain my heart and mind, to go, God is good. His promises are true. He will always make a way for me. The less the enemy had opportunity to bait me into accusing God of things that he was actually guilty of. So all of that to say, I want you to rehearse his goodness. I'm building a case for his goodness and I'm praying it's a healing balm because I'll say what happened to me is I was just going, I refuse and reject fear. I reject rejection. I reject all the stuff that weakens me because the scripture says a mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So if there's not life or peace on it, I'm not having it in my brain. And I started to really just apply myself because I was fighting for my life. And my husband said, your eyes look different. You're carrying yourself different. And it's something in me healed, Stan. I mean, physiologically, 
when you think thoughts that weaken you, when you think berating thoughts, fearful thoughts, when you say things that berate yourself or you speak a narrative over your story that doesn't agree with heaven or you speak evil things of other people, that literally initiates a chemical reaction in your body because we're fearfully, wonderfully made. In the same way, as you speak life, there's power in the tongue. As you say, I am a child of God, no weapon formed against me will prosper. Cells react to that. Neuropathways react to that. You are such an integrated, beautifully made creation of God. And when we come into agreement with him, everything changes. Susie, I was just thinking about a scripture that I meditated on for a bit. The psalmist David is kind of talking to himself. And he said, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your trust in God. I'll again praise him. It's not enough just to believe it. Sometimes I think people go, well, yeah, I know. I've read that. I, I know that verse. I, I heard that sermon. But you've got to rehearse it. Totally. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that whole dynamic because, again, I think many of us Christ followers, we go, well, no, I know the Bible-ish. Not that I know it perfectly, but I know the Bible. I know the scriptures. I've heard the promises. Help us connect the difference between just knowing it and even believing it at a level, but really rehearsing it and actively engaging it. I was going back and forth in an audio text with a friend this morning who's in a fight for her life health-wise, but she's a warrior. She said, Susie, I just don't think enough Christians know how to fight for themselves. You know, we've been given the armor and we put up with so much. And one of the readings in Waking Up to the Goodness of God is titled Strategically Accept and Reject. Uh, the opening, I tell a story, I'm sitting at a restaurant with a friend and we're talking about a very painful relational issue for her. The server came up and I'm looking at the server and I'm looking at my friend and I watch her jaw muscles clench. And I could tell she, her thoughts went south. And once the server walked away, I'm like, what, what happened just now? She goes, oh, no, I'm fine. And I go, no, you're not fine. What just happened just now? Where'd your thoughts go? And she opened her mouth and admitted fear, rejection, despair, anger, unforgiveness, like she'd worked through so much of it and it came all thundering back. And so we talked our way back into a place of hope. We so passively accept the enemy's lies and we so passively refuse to reject the things he's putting in our lives. And yet daily the heavens pour forth speech. So somehow we've got to engage our hearts and keep our hearts in it. It's one thing to get rest you need. We all need rest, but that doesn't ever mean you go on autopilot. It doesn't ever mean you take a break and you leave your weapons of warfare at home. The enemy is prowling around looking for someone to devour. It's not that we live in fear, but we live on guard. We live aware. And I think so often we're forgetters. And this is why it says over and over again, remember, rehearse. Listen to this, Psalm 145. Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor. So I'm meditating on the majesty of God. When that enemy comes in and bullies me, I go to passages in Psalms that say he merely spoke and the heavens came to be. There's a passage, I think it's Psalm 127. It says he heals up the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. He put the stars in place and called them each by name. So when the enemy comes in and tries to threaten that God's lost my address or God's looked away or there's no limit to what God will allow in my life, I go to passages like that. Go, you're wrong. You're wrong about my God. This is who he is. Each one of us should be perpetually in awe and be so in tune with what God is doing that we're talking about it. When you're operating in your false identity, when you're operating in fear, you will not see goodness 
when it comes because fear is such a dangerous trap. But when you start to go, I know who my God is, you will see his handiwork everywhere. And then you'll start to talk about it. What we tend to do is count all the ways the enemy's been bad to us. But God has been good to each of us. So are his praises on our tongue. Susie, it's not just enough just to know spiritual truth. We've got to engage that truth and bring it back. And we've got to rehearse it. We've got to speak to our soul. Part of the reason why that's so critical is because we do have an adversary who is active, who is seeking to put lies and confusion and doubt into our hearts and into our minds. We have a world system in which he's in control of that is doing the same thing, trying to bring confusion and fear. And so we're not actively engaging the word and the truth of scripture and the reality of who God is and what he's done in our lives before and what we've seen in scripture, then we're going to lose that battle like every time. Yeah. When you think you can put your head in the sand and just sort of bide your time until Jesus comes, it's just not going to work. The enemy knows his time is short and he wants so much to just cause as much collateral damage as possible. But here's something to remember. If you're in Christ, the spirit of God is alive in you. You've bowed your knee to Jesus and he's your savior. Your identity is secure and your eternity is secure. He can't touch those things. But what he can do is steal your joy, kill your fruit, destroy your peace of mind. And to the extent that you allow that to happen does impact eternal reward because suddenly you go into self-preservation. You go into fear mode. And just yesterday morning, I was reading in Matthew, uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who do others say that I am? And they're like, Elijah, John the Baptist, a prophet. He goes, who do you say I am? And Peter, you remember, he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, the spirit of God. You know, the Father has revealed that to you. Then he goes on to kind of speak to what goes with Peter's identity. On this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail. I felt like he was speaking into him going, not only are you one of mine, but let me tell you what goes with becoming part of the kingdom. But I mean, there was all this authority and this benefit to belonging in the kingdom of God. And I thought that is so powerful because it's like God revealed to Peter Jesus' identity. And when God did that, Jesus spoke back to Peter, his identity. But then the very next paragraph, Jesus said, I got to go to Jerusalem. And that's where I'm going to suffer many things, the hands of leaders. And they're going to kill me, but I'll be raised again. And Peter's like, but heaven forbid, may it never be. And Jesus like, get behind me, Satan. Exactly. <laughs> he said, you are a dangerous trap to me. You are not mm. seeing things. And this is my paraphrase from heaven's point of view, but from the world's point of view. And I thought, how does a guy go from a heavenly yes. relation to a revelation from the pit of hell in a matter of moments. It's fear. When he was in fear is when he was a dangerous trap to Jesus. And when we are in fear, it's not only horrible for our soul and ourselves, but we become a dangerous trap to others because we're speaking out of that fear. We're reacting out of fear. I mean, wars start in fear. Fear causes us to self-sabotage. When we're facing fear, the answer isn't, so that fear thing will get out of my way, so I don't have to be afraid anymore. The answer is to stomp your feet, raise your hands, and say, I need a fresh revelation of your perfect love. I need a revelation of who you are, Jesus. And while you're at it, as you're giving me a revelation of who you are, I need a revelation of who I am because of who you are. One of the uh, analogies I thought over the years, uh, Susie, when you think about the reality of this balance between Satan is defeated, but yet he can defeat us. Yeah. <laughs> and I use a, a, a poker analogy, right? So... If you and I are playing poker, I won't go into the whole logistics of it or whatever, but if I have the better hand, I have a significantly better hand than you do, but I don't know that, I technically can beat you if I believe that and I play my hand. But you have power, not because you have a better hand, but because you can bluff me. And so if I'm willing to buy into your lie, your bluff, 
that you've got a better hand than me out of fear of loss, I may fold. Mm, wow. So even though I've got the better hand, you can win. I believe your bluff. That's amazing. That's a great analogy. Mm. I feel like there's a twofold message this morning as I'm talking with you. One is no one can do this for you. You have to apply your heart to the goodness of God, but it's what your heart was made for. You're wired for love. You're wired for faith, for hope. And, and when you're out of sync with that, everything in your body and your soul and your perspective will be out of sync. So start today just practicing and meditating on the goodness of God. So when trials come going, Lord, what you allow, you redeem. I'm going to see your goodness in the land of the living. And it's just it's good for your cells. It's good for your soul to find hope. Again, your heart can't live without hope. But the other thing I feel like I just need to say, just unique to this interview is this idea that there are some who are passively being battered by the enemy and they're wondering why they're one of the unlucky ones when you're not. I mean, it's the enemy just he's going on a rampage. Put on your armor, put on some worship music, march around your house and start telling that enemy what's what. Send him out and say, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love and sound mind. And when that happens to me, I turn that table and I pray for missionaries. I pray for church leaders. I pray for revival in our country. And I go down swinging and I come up swinging because I'm not going to be battered. And I have been at times. But I just think that I don't know if we understand the weapons of our warfare and the power that God has given us to say no and to draw a line and say this far and no more. Susie, earlier in the conversation, you were talking about uh, a dear friend who delivered faithful wounds <laughs> by speaking a word of truth to you. And that really opened your eyes to the reality of the fact that you were embracing for impact. You kept waiting for the next shoe to drop. So listeners, mm -hmm. how would they know that they too are in that situation where they may not have realized until these moments here that you're about to reveal it to them, but they've mm -hmm. been living in a state of embracing for impact, waiting for the next shoe to, shoe yeah. to drop, losing sight of the goodness of God. Many already do know, just they're like, you got my number, but others, maybe you don't know because it's stuffed in your basement. But if you're honest and you ask God to show you your heart, there is hurt in your heart towards God, a disappointment in how your life has turned out. And there's an absence of peace and hope and joy and love and expectancy because God wants you to live in a sense of peace. He wants you to be able to take a nap in the storm. He wants you to be able to live that defies the odds of circumstances. That is part of our birthright as kingdom people. We don't default to those positions. We just have to contend and remind our hearts, remind our souls, rehearse in our minds, my God is good. And I'm telling you, you when you start to do that, you will feel a physiological shift because your body was made by God for God. And as you glorify God in the way that you think and you speak, hope will come back. We always so think that it's like I have to postpone joy and postpone hope until my circumstances change. But the supernatural joy and hope that's given us defies circumstances. And so often when that happens and joy and peace return, Stan, it's like you said with the poker game. There's so much of the crud that's coming at us is spiritual intimidation. It's spiritual bullying. You know, so much of what we fear doesn't ever come to pass. And yet the stuff that God does allow, he does redeem. My sister was one of my sample readers and she called me choked up. She was almost crying. She goes, I can't believe what you wrote in this particular chapter. And I said, what was that? And she said, you don't feel like you've lost anything. She said, the first time I've ever heard you say that after three decades of battling Lyme disease, because I said, I honestly feel like I don't feel like I've lost anymore. I feel like I've gained so much more than I've lost because I'm wiser to the enemy's schemes. I'm more intimate with God. I know his word better now. And I have a vitality. What's amazing, I have to just testify, three decades of almost daily neurosymptoms 
and I'm not one bit neurologically impaired. And though it's one thing the Lord kept telling me, these symptoms harass, but they will not harm you. You will come through this fire without smelling like smoke. And so I just testify that God can redeem all things. So trust him. But it's time to renew your mind. It's time to engage your heart. It's time to get a little bit feisty hmm. about what you're accepting, what you're rejecting, what you're believing, and what you're receiving. And when you start to actively practice your faith in that way and get in the game, you will start to see a robustness in your faith. And then you'll be ready to move on to the next thing that God has for you. Susan, several times this morning you've used the phrase accepting and rejecting strategically using that whole concept. And, and it's so part of you, you just share it. It just kind of comes out and you know exactly what you mean. And it makes sense, but I'd love for you to kind of take that apart a little bit to kind of bring like, kind of all of us into that whole reality and that strategy of like, no, when you talk about strategically rejecting and accepting, yeah, coach us this morning. The scripture says a mindset on the spirit is life and peace, but a mind on the flesh is death and destruction. Again, my paraphrase, but it says something like that. One of the ways you know that you're not operating in your true identity as a child of God is if you're lacking peace, if you mostly feel fear or insecurity or inferiority, anything like that, anything that's disrupting you, weakening you, putting a knot in your gut, you're on a faulty platform. And so then you have to say, Lord, show me my heart. What message have I received? What am I afraid of? And the Lord will show you your heart. And then you strategically go about your business. And, you know, I put on my shoes of peace, my belt of truth, my breastplate of righteousness, my helmet of salvation. I have the mind of Christ, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. When you use the shield of faith, Ephesians, I think it's 616. It talks about with which you extinguish every fiery dart of the enemy. In the translation, the way that word translates is dunamis, where we get the word dynamite, which means when you say no, when the fiery darts are coming at you, this is the thing. There's Christians walking around with darts sticking at them all over the place. Mm. And they're like, I have this pain in my back and I don't know why. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or Because we are under mm. fire, but we're taking it. But when you use your shield of faith and you say no, there is an explosion in the heavenly realm. And the only way I know how to compare this is, I don't know if you've ever read This Present Darkness, an mm. old novel by oh, Frank yeah. Peretti. Changed my prayer life. Mm. I'm telling you, it changed my prayer life many, many years ago. He gives an inside look to the spiritual warfare of demons and angels. And and there was this point where a pastor's on his knees in this rickety old church and God had sent him to that community. But there were demonic schemes, new age schemes that were prevailing strongholds really in that community. And he was a simple, humble pastor called and was learning what he was up against and did not know what to do. He was in over his head and he's crying out to God. And you in the novel, you know, he's in there. And then you get a view of the outside of the church with the light coming out of the church. And you see this leathery winged bat flying. And I'm like, no, 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 you know, because, you know, fear is sort of a default response for me. I'm right. like, and out of the blue, right when he gets to the window, a white angel swoops up and intersects and sends that thing hurling end over end into the space. Mm. And I literally flew my book over the across the room, I'm like, you know, and I love that visual because I think that is what happens mm -hmm. when you say, you cannot have my children. Mm -hmm. You cannot have my marriage. You cannot have my health. I am set apart for the Lord. When you start to intervene, intercede, and stand in faith, the best you know how, this isn't name it, claim it, because there are things that get through. There is collateral damage at times. But imagine what you would stop if you would learn to stand in faith, to say, I reject fear. That's not part of my identity. As a Christian, you're seated with Christ. So you can't be more secure than that. You're seated with Christ. You might feel insecure some days, 
but you can't be more secure than seated with Christ. Well, Susie, we knew this would happen. We knew you would have so much great material to share, and we just simply wouldn't have time to get it all on the radio. It's why we're so thankful for our podcast, because we're able to include content there that we aren't able to fit on the air this morning. So just a reminder that there's more to hear from this conversation. When you look for Morning Conversation, the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts or just check it out on the MyBridge Radio app in the menu, there's a podcast section there. Hey, Susie, thank you for spending the morning with us. I treasure what you're doing, and I'm always honored to serve with you.